Galatians chapter 5 this morning. While you're turning there, let me talk a little bit more about our Advent this year. Uh, on our church website, there's an electronic version of our Advent uh, readings for the year. We're trying to provide you with uh, something that you can use not only here on Sunday mornings, but in your homes as well. Uh, one of the nice things to do as a family is to uh, just every day during the Advent period, just get together and read a little uh, passage of scripture and talk it through and just kind of keeps your mind on the, the right thing. Galatians chapter 5, we're going to start reading this morning in verse number 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Heavenly Father God, we just pray now as we spend a few moments in your word that you'll speak to our hearts. Be our teacher today. Lord, as we speak about the Holy Spirit this morning, I pray the Holy Spirit would fill me. I pray he would fill each and every one of us. Fill me to teach. Fill all of us to hear and learn. And just uh, have your will in your way today. Guide us, Father. We want to understand. We want to dig deeper into this, uh, this wonderful third member of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And so speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we have now finished our series in Nehemiah, and we have just a little bit further to go in our series, our Digging Deeper into Our Statement of Faith series. We started uh, a few weeks ago, before holidays and things intruded, and we finished up with Nehemiah. We started Digging Deeper into Pneumatology. Now, everybody remembers what that big word means, right? Pneumatology is just simply a big word that talks about the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Pneuma being the Greek word for spirit or wind. And we started that last week, and we, we were, again, we're trying to dig deeper into what our statement of faith says, and, and as you'll recall, our statement of faith says nothing about the Holy Spirit, which is something that, that bothers me a little bit and that we're going to have to address perhaps someday. But we learned some things that uh, maybe ought to be in our statement of faith. We learned uh, in that last message that uh, two, two main truths about the Holy Spirit. We learned, number one, that he exists. He is a real person the third member of the Trinity. And number two, we learned that he indwells every single believer. And of course, there was a lot else, other things we touched on in that particular message. And if you uh, did not hear that, I would suggest you go and get it because that foundation is necessary. You, you, you just simply cannot understand other things we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit in a right way unless you understand the foundation that was laid in those first few uh, comments. Uh, just a very quick review. So we did we did mention something that let me just let me just toss out there and review just so we we all have the same level set here this morning. We did mention the fact that there are three different terms used to describe the Holy Spirit and His work in our lives that we absolutely must understand. 
One of those is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. One of those is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And one is the filling of the Holy Spirit. You'll recall that we said those were three different things. And uh, we tried to define them as, 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 as clearly as possible. Uh, I won't go into great detail. I'll just mention in a sentence or two each of those. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is, uh, is, is a historical event. The baptism of the Holy Spirit took place in Acts chapter 2 on Pentecost. When God poured out his Holy Spirit upon the church. We as individual believers take part in the baptism of the Holy Spirit when we become part of that church. In other words, when we get saved. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is not something that we are ever to pray for. There's no place, there's not a single word in the Bible that ever says pray and ask God for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. If you're saved, you've already got it. It's done. It's part of the deal. That's the baptism. Second term we talked about was the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Again, same thing. If you're saved, you're indwelt by the Spirit of God. Paul said to the Romans, if you don't have the Spirit of God indwelling in you, you are none of his. You're not even one of the family. It's an amazing truth, is it not, that we are indwelt by the very Spirit of God. Mind-bending truth to think about that. But again, we, uh, we learned the last time that this is not something we're to ever ask God for. We're not to pray for the indwelling of the Holy Spirit because if we're believers, we already have it. Uh, I like that, that little illustration that I shared before. I'll share it again. The Holy Spirit is not a liquid. You can't get more of him. You either have him or not. He's a person. You have all of him when you get saved. And then the third term we talked about was the term the filling of the Holy Spirit. And that one we did say, the Bible is very clear, it tells us we are to seek the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is a term that just simply refers to his control in our life. If I am filled with the Spirit of God, I am completely surrendered to his control and under his control in my life. Certainly a state that we all want to seek at all times. And so that, that, those are some of the things we talked about before. And, and you can go and listen to that if you, if, if you have questions about that. Hopefully uh, we fleshed that out a little bit more in that previous study. But there's a couple of others as we dig deeper into this matter of pneumatology. I don't want to stop there. There's a couple of other important things I want to talk about. And one of them is, what, what are the ramifications of the, of the presence of the Holy Spirit? First of all, to our church. And secondly, to us as individuals. I said first of all, but we're actually going to talk about our church next time when we talk about the gifts of the Spirit, which I think is an important topic we need to, we need to discuss. So next time we'll talk about that. But today I want to talk about what are the ramifications of this, uh, this, uh, this relationship with the Holy Spirit to me personally, to you personally as individual believers. And toward that end, I want us to think about the fruit of the Spirit that is discussed here in Galatians. And so let's talk about that just a little bit this morning, because this describes for us, I think, quite well uh, what it means to us that we are indwelt by the Spirit of God. Now, if we're going to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, which we just read about here a minute, for a minute, a minute ago, uh, we have to, first of all, start with the bad news, just as Paul did. He didn't start with the fruit of the Spirit. He started with the works of the flesh. And so let's talk about that, the works of the flesh. Are these now? This is kind of bad news. This part, I don't know. Did you did you enjoy as I was reading that particular portion, the portion that described the works of the flesh? Uh, it, it's it's terrible. This this passage tells us that in our natural state, we are just simply a mess. We're just a mess. Galatians chapter five verse seventeen: the flesh lusts against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary to one another, so that you do not do the things that you wish. We have this war going on within us: the spirit against the flesh. It's not a good enjoyable situation. We're a mess in our natural state. In, in, in our natural state, our, the natural man is just, is just inherently evil. 
and prone to sin. We've talked about this many times. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Isaiah said that the very cleanest we can be is just dirt. I mean, we, we, we know that's what the Bible says. And I also know that this flies in the face of what modern worldly philosophical thought tells us. The world would tell us today that everybody, that all the evil that we have in the world and all the, the, the bad things that happen in the world is a result of our environment. It's a result of the fact that, you know, we've had evil influences in our life. And if we could just get rid of all that and we could just have a wonderful environment and uh, have some utopia, then there would be no evil. There would be no bad. But that is not what the Bible says, is it? That's bunk. And anybody who's ever taken two toddlers and tossed them in a playpen and tossed one toy in there knows that's bunk. Because nobody has to teach kids to sin. They got it from the womb. And we're all that way. We all have that natural tendencies. And that natural state, that natural state of carnality and sin leads to certain things. And that's what the Apostle Paul here describes as the works of the flesh. In verse number 19. And so I, I want to just kind of go down through this. And I hope I'm not going to be tedious this morning. Anytime you're going through a list of things like this, it can get tedious. So I'm going to try to probably try and talk fast. I might talk too fast. I might start babbling. I don't know. But, but try and keep up. I, I just want to kind of go through this as quickly as I can without being tedious and without spending a whole lot of time on it. But I want us to see and understand what these things are. Because if we don't understand the works of the flesh, we want to understand the glory of the fruit of the Spirit. We want to understand just how good the good news is if we don't understand how bad the bad news is. And so let's look at these. And for sake of order, we're going to combine these. We're going to break them up and kind of group them into groupings here. He lists a whole bunch of different things in verses 19 and following that are the works of the flesh. And so let's uh, let's combine them. The first four there, the first four in verse number 19, if you're looking at your Bible still, uh, we would combine those and call those sensual or sexual sins. There is adultery, fornication, uncleanness, and lewdness all mentioned there. And just a, a couple of very brief definitions. I think we know what these things are. Adultery is a very narrow word which refers to married people engaging in sexual relationships outside of their own marriage. Uh, there has to be a marriage for there to be adultery. Verse 19 goes on and talks about fornication, though, and fornication is a much broader word. Fornication is a word uh, from which we get our word pornography. Uh, the Greek word behind fornication uh, gives us our word pornography. It, it describes a lot more than adultery. Adultery is fornication, but uh, fornication doesn't necessarily have to be adultery. It's just a much broader word. It describes any and all illicit sexual activity, things like sex before marriage. So young folks who, who have watched TV and have been told that it's perfectly normal, it's not perfectly normal. Uh, that would be fornication. Uh, homosexuality is included in this word. Those who have heard that that's a disease. Those who have heard that that's something that, uh, you know, people can't help. I mean, it, it's, 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 it's fornication. Uh, pornography, which is rampant in our society right now, is another. Basically, any sexual activity outside of God's design for sex, which is a man and a woman within a relationship of marriage, is fornication. goes on with the word uncleanness. Uncleanness is another, even broader word. It's like Paul's getting, he starts real specific here. He gets broader and broader and broader. Adultery, fornication, and then uncleanness. Uncleanness is impurity, either physically or morally. It seems to be an even broader word than fornication. And then lewdness. If you're holding the King James Bible, it's that great big word, lasciviousness. Lasciviousness, which is a word that means unrestrained living, licentiousness. It's the abandonment of oneself to immorality. 
So the fruit of the spirit, or the, the, the works of the flesh starts off with these sensual sins. And then he goes on in verse number 20, and he has another grouping here, which we would call, I guess, worship sins. Two of them mentioned there, idolatry and sorcery in verse number 20. Now, idolatry, probably everybody who thinks about idolatry immediately pictures somebody bowing down to an idol. Don't you think of that? You think of a particular uh, statue somewhere and uh, somebody bowing down to it. And that does happen. Happens in this country. It also happens all around the world. But that's not the only meaning of idolatry. Idolatry is basically putting anything ahead of God in your life. It is true that the second commandment was, Thou shalt not make any graven image. But the first is, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. And so anything that takes the place of God in your life is idolatry. Sorcery is an interesting word in verse number 20. We think of that as witchcraft. We think of that as uh, somebody waving a wand around and casting spells. But that's not really what that seems to mean. That's from a word that speaks of drugs. That's from a word that, from which we get our word pharmacy. Uh, in the day that this was written, there would have been uh, a lot of drug use associated with worship of false gods. That's probably what the specific meaning is, but I think a, a broader meaning is just drug abuse or substance abuse in any way. Works of the flesh. Then there are the sins of division or the social sins as we continue on down the list. And as we read the rest of these, I want you to think about just how many problems we have in churches today because of this particular set of works of the flesh. I've been thinking lately about our next study that we're going to come up with. Now that we're done with Nehemiah and as we're finishing this up, what are we going to do next? And so I've been thinking about that. And one of the things that uh, has come to my mind recently has been, uh, just recently, actually I was talking with a brother about this this past week, and I got to thinking about this one. Thought, uh, we're thinking about possibly a, uh, a series on Revelation and the last things. But another one that I've been thinking about even longer and, and praying about and reading uh, for a, kind of a protected time has been First Corinthians doing a study through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I was reading 1 Corinthians just this morning, as a matter of fact, in my devotions. And I came across Paul's words to the Corinthians at the very beginning. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse number 11, he said, It has been reported to me that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. Quarreling. Doesn't that sound a lot like churches today? And that's basically what we see. Sins of division in the remaining section here. Of the works of the flesh. Notice some of them. Verse number 20, there are contentions. Contentions, that's strife. That is quarrels. That's debating. I had a grandmother. Not, uh, not the grandmother that you folks know. The grandmother on my father's side. Who used to say to me, If you're not willing to argue with me, don't come around me. And then she meant that. She liked to pick fights. She was pugnacious. She liked to get you in a corner and just debate you down to the ground. And she thought that was a good thing. You know, there's a lot of people like that today who think that, that that's a good way to be. Uh, according to my Bible, it's a work of the flesh. I love my grandmother, but it's a work of the flesh uh, to have contentions. Verse 20 goes on, talks about jealousies, which are rivalries and intrigue, dissensions, which is uh, with division and disunion, heresies, verse number 20, talks about factions. All these things talk about political type things which have no place in the church. They're all sins. Of division, And then there's some, I'll just mention these, these aren't so easily categorized, there's hatred in verse 20, outbursts of wrath, which is, you know, just a flare-up of temper, envy, murders, none of us would be guilty of murders, would we, in verse number 21, 
Except that, oh yeah, Jesus pointed out that if we hate our brother without a cause, we're guilty of that, aren't we? And so uh, drunkenness, verse 21, revelries, verse 21, which is carousing and partying, all these things are works of the flesh. And then there's that phrase in verse 21, which just really jumps out at me, and the like. And the like. In other words, this list is not exhaustive. This list is just representative of just how messed up we are in the flesh. Works of the flesh. It's a horrible list. It's just a horrible list. And these works of the flesh are what characterize all men and women before they are saved. This, this list of the works of the flesh describes me in my natural state. It describes you in your natural state. This is the natural man. But thank God the text doesn't stop there. Thank God it doesn't stop with that horrible state. Thank God, just like all of the Bible, the bad news is there to help us to see how much we need what God has for us. And then comes the good news. And so Paul doesn't stop with the works of the flesh. He goes on to describe the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit. And let's spend the remaining minutes we have thinking about that list. Because that tells us just what this indwelling Holy Spirit does in our life. Now, the word fruit is interesting, isn't it? The word fruit alone, we can stop and spend some time on that. Because the, the word fruit describes something which naturally occurs. For example, if I were to go out into my yard and plant an apple tree out there, what could I expect to have happen? Could I not expect that a natural result of my planting an apple tree in my backyard would be that eventually I would gain apples from it? Fruit. It's a natural occurring thing. Same if I want, if I ever get around to planting a garden, I say every year I'm going to plant a garden and I never do. But if I ever get around to planting a garden and were to put tomatoes out there and I was any good at it at all, I could expect, could I not, a tomato or two to grow. It's a natural result. Uh, and Christians, filled, spirit-filled Christians, it's a natural result that they're going to bear the fruit of the Spirit. That's one thing we learn from the word fruit. We also learn from the word fruit uh, that this is not something that happens overnight. If I plant that apple tree in my backyard, I cannot reasonably expect to go out the very next day and pluck an apple off of that tree, can I? It's going to take a little time. It's just not something that happens overnight. Fruit doesn't pop out immediately, it grows and it ripens over time. And so, because we are indwelt by the Spirit of God, those things which are described here as the fruit of the Spirit should be in us. They should be in us in ever-increasing measure, and they should be ripening over time. Let's notice the list quickly. And again, we can categorize this. The first group here in the fruit of the Spirit talks about things that would be evident in our relationship with God. The fruit of the Spirit, according to verse number 22, is love and joy. In peace. All of those things talk about our relationship with God and how it is affected. Love. Not, you know that in, in, in the Greek language in which the Bible was written, the New Testament was written, you know that there are multiple words for love. And we've talked about that before. This is not talking about uh, eros, which is romantic love. It's not talking about phileos, which is brotherly love or friendship. It's talking about agape, which is godly love. Unselfish love. Unconditional love. The love of choice. It describes God's love to us, our love for God, and it ought to describe our love for each other. That's the fruit of the Spirit. Love. John said in John chapter 13 and verse 35, By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. It's our greatest witness. Our greatest witness is our love one for another. And according to this passage, it's a fruit of the Spirit. 
Not only is it one of our greatest witnesses to others, it's one of our greatest evidences to ourselves personally of the reality of our walk with God. First uh, John chapter 3 and verse 14 says, We know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. What is it that brings us together here every Lord's Day? What is it that causes us to want to be around other Christians? What is it that, uh, that, that, that can bind our hearts with the hearts of believers here and anywhere? How is it that we can go to a foreign country and meet somebody there who is a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and immediately have a kinship and a relationship and a common mind and a common heart with them? It's because we have the fruit of the Spirit, which is love for one another. And you say, I don't have that. Well, maybe you need to think about that. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. Now, it didn't say happiness. If I walked up here this morning and stubbed my toe on this step as I was walking up here, I would not be happy. I would not be. Uh, you know, if my wife did not properly make my breakfast in the morning, I might not be happy. My wife never makes my breakfast in the morning, so she, she's sitting there. What is he talking about? You know, if my dog pees on the floor, I would not be happy. But I still have joy. See, happiness is not... Or happiness is based on circumstances, joy is not. I've told you before about this little old lady that I knew years and years and years ago. And early in my, my time as a pastor, and I had to go visit with her. She was a diabetic, and she just had a leg amputated. And, oh, I dreaded that visit. I thought, oh, she's going to be so down. And I got in there, and she was just flying high, just rejoicing, laying there with only one leg, and just smiling at me. Brother Jim White's the same way, talking about how excited he is that he's on his on his last step of his journey and going to see Jesus soon. That's joy. Joy. And it's, it only comes from the fruit of the Spirit. First Peter chapter 1 and verse number 8. Whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That only comes from the indwelling Spirit of God. Joy. I love Habakkuk chapter 3. I think Habakkuk chapter 3 may be the high point in the Bible about this topic of joy. Listen to it. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The prophet is saying it doesn't matter if the entire world stops tomorrow. If everything that I'm trusting in, in this world, my, my finances dry up, my family dries up, if everything is gone tomorrow, I still will rejoice. I still will have joy in myself. That, that only comes from the indwelling Spirit of God in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is love. The fruit of the Spirit is joy. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. Verse number 22. Peace. Paul said to the Romans, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. I was listening one time to a sermon by E.V. Hill. Anybody know who E.V. Hill was? E.V. Hill was an uh, African-American pastor. Wonderful to listen to. Just a great preacher. He's with the Lord now. E.V. Hill was talking in this particular sermon. I don't remember anything about the sermon. I just remember this illustration. He was talking about how he had enemies on all sides. Everybody was against him. He said he had the Ku Klux Klan that was against him. And he also had the Black, Pan uh, Black Panthers against him. And he said his deacons in his church had to be his bodyguards everywhere he went against the KKK on one side and the Black Panthers on the other. And he told about one particular night where he was sleeping in his bed and he heard this scream that they were burning crosses on his front yard. 
And he said, quote, I turned over and snored, end quote. And I thought, that's the peace of God. That's the peace of God that only comes from the fruit of the Spirit in our life. We can't have it any other way. So think about those things. The fruit of the Spirit is evident in our relationship with God. We'll have the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. All of those things. And so I ask you this morning, think about it in your own life. Do you love God? And can you say that you have the joy of God within? And can you say that you have that kind of peace that you could just turn your head over and snore if they're burning your house down from outside? The fruit of the Spirit. The second grouping we have here is that the fruit of the Spirit is not only evident in our relationship with God, it's also evident in our relationship with others. Now, we like that first one. The second one gets a little bit closer to home. This talks about some things that we might struggle with a little bit. Look at verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is long-suffering, kindness, and goodness. I don't like that long-suffering. Do you like that long-suffering? I don't like that. How many of you would say that you're just naturally long-suffering? Here's what long-suffering means, by the way. It means patient endurance under injuries inflicted by others. Is that you? Patient endurance under injuries inflicted by others. It sure is not me, I have to admit. I struggle with long-suffering. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13, love suffers long. He told Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 2, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. I confess to you freely, I struggle with this one, but it's the fruit of the Spirit, long-suffering. Kindness is also mentioned here as the fruit of the Spirit. And if we go back and we remember all the things that Paul said about the, the works of the flesh, just think about how many of those things would be alleviated if we just exhibited this one right here. Kindness. 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 Christians, you know, are supposed to be kind people. Gentle people. The next time you are tempted to think to yourself, Boy, I sure told him. You need to remember that that's a work of the flesh. And it should be kindness. Kindness. I had a preacher friend one time whose motto was, Always be kind. You know, you go a long way in life that way. Always. Kind. As the world grows increasingly less kind. And all you've got to do is read the news about what took place on Black Friday across the country. And you're going to know that the world is growing increasingly less kind. When people are pepper spraying each other in aisles over ridiculous nonsensical shopping issues. We as Christians need to have a higher standard. And where do we get it? It's the fruit of the Spirit. Kindness. And goodness. Goodness. Verse 22. That's an active thing, you know. It's not just a feeling. Not just warm and fuzziness. Active, energetic goodness. The spirit-filled Christian doesn't just think good thoughts, sing good songs, listen to good truths. He or she does good works. Goodness. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. I, I, I read a quote this week. It said, the truth is that though we were justified by faith alone, the faith that justifies is never alone. It always produces good works. So the fruit of the Spirit is going to be evident in our relationship with God. It will be evident in our relationship with one another. And then finally, it will be increasingly evident in our personal holiness. I'll just mention these. Verse 23 is faithfulness. Verse 23 also mentions gentleness or meekness, which is strength under control. That will be in our life. And also self-control, temperance, if you're holding the King James Bible, in verse number 23. And so if the Spirit of God is indwelling us, as we have already said, if you're a believer, the Spirit of God is indwelling you. 
So we could say, since the Spirit of God indwells each of us, the implications of these verses are clear, aren't they? These, are, these nine characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit should also be in us. In an increasing measure. Every day of our life. Those nine descriptions of the fruit of the Spirit are nine descriptions of Christ-likeness. And we are to becoming, we are to be becoming more and more like Him each and every day. So let me just make two applications and I'm done. Just give me two, two or three more minutes and then I'll be done. Because two applications rise to my mind as I think about these things. One is, first of all, is a warning. A warning. Our lives as Christians should not look like the description here that Paul painted of the natural, unspiritual, unsaved man. If our life is characterized by that list that he called the works of the flesh, then we need to be very careful. You know, I know, I know people don't like warnings, but the Bible is filled with warnings, and I wouldn't be much of a preacher if I didn't warn those who are in danger. And the fact is, notice what he says in verse number 21. He says, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Those who practice such things are not believers. Now that word practice is important. That word practice uh, is not talking about the occasional fall. We all fall. We all have troubles like that. We all stumble now and then. That word practice is talking about uh, someone who, uh, this list characterizes their life. It describes them all the time. This is the way they live. And if that is the case, if this list characterizes your life, it ought to warn you to examine your life. A warning. The second application is an encouragement. An encouragement. Because the believer is indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God, those works of the flesh should be diminishing in our life. And we should be seeing every day an increasing amount of the of the, of the fruit of the Spirit showing forth in our life. And so I ask you, do you see that? Is it ripening, that fruit, every day, a little bit more? You know, making a rotten sinner, oh, and by the way, that's you and me, making a rotten sinner into the image of Christ is not an overnight thing. It takes a lifetime. That's why Paul describes it in verse number 25 as a walk. It may seem slow sometimes. We don't start bearing ripe fruit the minute we trust Christ. We don't arrive at our destination immediately. It's a walk. It takes time. J.R.R. Tolkien said, little by little, one travels far. And so little by little, day by day, the indwelling Holy Spirit of God works in our lives, pushing out those works of the flesh and helping us to see the fruit of the Spirit ripening each and every day. That's what the indwelling Holy Spirit of God means to me and ought to mean to all of us as believers.